0: Okay, Welcome, Blues, to episode 29 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. In the house today, we have back after an extended absence, Walter Smith. Hi, Walter, how are you?
1: We're alive and kicking uh, in uh, rainy Manchester, so looking forward to Christmas and uh, looking forward to dissecting uh, the game for the weekend.
0: Absolutely, and we also have Presswich Blue, Colin Savage, back in the house. How are you, Colin? Oh, good. It seems a long time since I spoke to you, Mike. I know. We're becoming like a, a real family here. And uh, the other member of the family is uh, David uh, Gregory. How are you, David? Very well, thank you. Okay, guys. Well, what we've got to do is uh, get into this autopsy of our first defeat in about 22 games. We're going to start with Walter. Walter. What the heck happened here? Let's talk about the lineup. We had Morris and uh, Sterling as a false nine, I think, and Sane uh, starting. Uh, how did you feel about the lineup going into this game?
1: I prefer to have seen. I know it's easy to say in hindsight, but I said even before the game, I was. I preferred to have seen um, Gabby Jesus given a, a starting role. I've put out at half-time a tweet that just said, "How?" question mark because we absolutely battered them for forty-five minutes, and I got done by the old uh, Chelsea sucker punch. You know, it's uh, football for me is all about percentages, isn't it? And percentage-wise, we should have been out of sight in the first half. But if you don't take your chances, you know, you don't get your you don't get the points on the board. I thought first half, yeah. I thought we battered them in the second half I still think we were the better team but that's just uh, that's life and that's football
0: That's exactly it Colin I've got this uh, Spanish friend who was the I think one of the lawyers in the deal that brought David Beckham over to Real Madrid and he was just saying in, in Spain they have a saying and when when they get beat they just have a saying football is football and that's exactly right walter's exactly right from what i saw it was like 44 minutes of domination and then we get done by that goal from uh, kante you got to take your chances mate don't you
2: yeah i mean i watched the um, i watched the game live as it were in the pub with the, the um, supporters branch i'm a member of so I kind of wasn't concentrating on it as much as I would have been if I'd been watching it at home. When I actually watched it back, I realised just how dominant we were in that first half. It really was a game of two halves, actually. And we would, I'd sort of got the impression we hadn't played that well that well in the first half, though we'd had our chances. But yeah, we were absolutely dominant in that first half. And there were a number of chances that fell to Sterling and Sane that, that they just didn't quite have enough time to, to kind of get the feet round, and I think we've got to also give some credit to Chelsea, who I thought defended brilliantly. Um, you know, it was all all bodies on deck uh, when the ball was in their penalty area, really. So I think I think you can't can't be too harsh on City because whenever we got the ball in a scoring position, there were two or three Chelsea players throwing the throwing themselves in front of it. So um, yeah, you could say we we could have scored one, two, maybe three in that first half, but I, th- I say you have to give Chelsea
0: some credit as well for real. Richard Dunn type defending, except without the own goals. David, I remember in our last podcast, which was which is a very short time ago, actually, you were expressing your reservations about this. So you weren't quite uh, your normal uh, chipper self going into this particular game. Of course, Chelsea. I was thinking also, you know, they'd lost uh, their two previous games, uh, and I was um, wondering if it was going to be three on the trot at their own ground. How did you see that first half, and what did you think? What was your overall impression?
3: We did we did very well. Uh, but I, I can only endorse exactly what Walter has said, and I'm sure lots of us will have said all that possession and nothing to show for it. We've got to be more clinical up front. And uh, the the only disagreement was Gabby. He he didn't. He'd not done. Enough. He not. He's worked hard, but really he should be a natural finisher, and he's he not. He did. He did have. He did have. Our, uh, I think I only shot on target in that second half when yeah, he came on. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, oh, and he put, it, he put and, it in the one place where the keeper was going to get it. But it should be a natural thing for him to be putting chances away. He is an out-and-out striker. Um, And it, I, it didn't it didn't disturb me for him not to start. Long term, that game will have done us the power of good. It's hard to look at it immediately afterwards. But I don't feel there was any complacency. But I'd like us all now to concentrate On keep asking the question, can Liverpool go all the way through a season unbeaten? Because the press pile pressure onto us, but they don't pile onto anybody else. You know, you've got all these comments of it's, I mean, reading the papers this morning, I was so annoyed by so many of them. You know, that all all football has been crying out for somebody to stop Manchester City. You know, no, they're not. when when United and Liverpool in their period were dominating football, I don't remember reading of journalists and people coming out, people like Scudamore coming out and saying it's not good for football to have one team dominating. You know, it, it's a red biased media, and we're just an open target. But you know, it's a world of difference. You know, the pressure of leading the division. We'll see how these guys cope with it.
0: They didn't cope with it very well in two thousand and fourteen, did they? No, absolutely. No, they didn't. Walter, I'm just going to read you a few comments by Pep Guardiola. He isn't quite as dispirited as uh, some of the fans uh, in the the media and on social media. He rejected the notion that uh, City had had an off day. And he said, if you think that, you didn't see the game. In the first half, we were exceptional. In general, we were fantastic. I don't have any regrets. We came and showed we wanted to win. We created chances. They had one in 44 minutes. We conceded a goal sometimes. That happens. It's a, it's emotional for me to see these players do what they do every three days. We were outstanding except for five to eight minutes. The BBC calls the Chelsea victory a smash and grab job. What do you think?
1: Well, it was a smash and grab job. I mean, you've got to agree with Pep. I mean, with this talk of Liverpool. I mean, City have been behind twice in a uh, premiership champion race, as it were. And both times it worked out fabulously well. Um, I mean, I can understand that the pressure has been put on City because City were at the top to be there, to be shot at. Now it's uh, Liverpool's turn and it'll be interesting to see how they cope. I mean, God forbid, I think all of us will be rooting for United win <laughs> next weekend. <laughs> no, is, no, uh, no. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Something out of the blue. Well, at the end of the day, it's <laughs> it's whatever serves City best. And if that means them turning up and beating Liverpool, well then, you know, I ain't gonna, you know, it's one of those games where you like to see uh, two players sent off from either side, a bit of violent conduct, you know, uh, just uh, an old fashioned, as I say, Brexit football sort of debacle. And uh, that's how I'd like to sort of see it sort of pan out. But um, that Pep Guardiola's perfectly right. I mean, the thing is he can't go and hammer the players now because it really wouldn't do anything. Um, what he says to them privately and what he says to the press, you know, it's two different things. And it's um, he's there to keep the pressure off the players. And by saying things like this, that's what he's doing. And if you look at that first half, you know, it was uh, I was watching the Match of the Day highlights and in that, that first half, until they scored, there was no Chelsea highlights. And that was just indicative of the game because they had no highlights to be putting in there. Yeah.
2: I think they so, had three, three chances in that first half. Three serious attacks.
1: Well, it's, um, t- it's they only had one shot on target. Yeah. So that was mm-hmm. the, the first one that they scored from. And it was, you know, I was looking at the goal back there and, you know, you can be extra picky. I mean, I remember at half-time, people were trying to dig out Edison. I'm thinking... You know, there's no way you're going to stop. Uh, you know, just naturally you don't have your hands above your head. Your hands are sort of resting and the ball was thumped at him. And to get his hands up there or to get any touch on it, you know, it ain't going to happen. So, Edison's completely blameless. I don't know where Carl Walker was for, for the goal because he was running back and there's a big space created there as well. And you could argue Sane should have been close to Kante. But... You know, that, as they say, that's football. What we like to do is Fernandinho drops in, if you ever notice, with with the centre halves, and it leaves a little space there, a little pocket of space about the penalty spot, which is where he thumped it from. But uh, as David said before, I think this this defeat could serve us far better in the long run
0: because yeah. if you
1: think Pep Guardiola is the type of manager that doesn't look at something and learn from it, well, then you don't know anything about Pep. And Pep will have looked at this and either gone over it and seen where did we actually lose. I mean, it's the first time we've lost by more than one goal since uh, Everton away. We got a thump four nil somehow, but um, when we look back at the end of the season, I don't think we'll be looking back on this Chelsea game the same way we did under Pep's first year. I think it's uh, a bump along the road, as it were, and it, it just it brings us down to work a little bit and provides that opportunity for us to sit there as football fans and say, "Well, oh, yeah, everything everything doesn't go your way," you know. Uh, if you look at the most successful season ever in the United's ninety nine. People don't remember the losses. People don't remember who knocked them out of the League Cup. They just remember what happens there at the end of the season. And I don't think this is going to have any lasting damage. And in fact, some ways, Pep can turn around and say, look, we need that left back now. We need that centre. You know, that extra impetus to go and get Frankie de Jong or somebody of that ilk. So, you know, I'm not too worried about it, but it's just it is what it is.
2: You've got to remember who we're playing as well, because uh, Maurizio Sarri is probably the most technically accomplished manager after Pep in the Premier League
1: well if yeah. you looked on Friday night our hardest game for the rest of the season was Stamford Bridge
2: yeah, that's, yeah.
1: that's what I believe uh, yeah. every other game is easier than that and we're going into this game and we're minus Mendy we're minus De Bruyne Silva I, I think he was injured himself I don't think he was right from the off and no Aguero. And Gabby Jesus to start either. So you're looking at, we talk about you've got to take your chances, but when your main two attackers are not on the pitch and you're asking someone to play out of position in a big game like that, you've got to be looking at things might not go the way you want to. And that was the hardest game. And Chelsea are no mugs. And Chelsea, I don't think, have lost against the champions at Stamford Bridge since something like 2002. So they do know how to turn up and play that little daft song at the end of the game.
3: <laughs> yeah, this particular game Highlight I think we've got away with it to a large extent up until this game, but we really miss Kevin De Bruyne in this
1: game. Um, well, he was in a difference and, last year, wasn't he? Oh,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah with his goal, but but his, his his sort of knitting of the play together and the the eye for the, that killer ball, you know, and. and I think more than anything, there were two things that stuck to me. One is, you know, the the absence of a proper left-back, and I, I don't mean this, any disrespect to Fabian Delph, who's done a fantastic job for us. After Sane went off, there was nothing at all from that side of the pitch.
2: I think Pep made a mistake with that. I, I don't, if there's anyone to potentially blame for that first goal, you could perhaps look at Delph, because um, David Luiz launched that crossfield pass to Pedro He didn't quite control it First time And Delph had been a bit quicker Might have got in Might have got a foot in there But he kind of stood there And, and Pedro Sort of miscontrolled it and, and Delph sort of stood still As he went The ball sort of went in infield and, and that gave him the room to make the cross ball No, it was Pedro Make the cross ball to William. Steve McManaman I don't usually take much notice of You know, it's like a, You know, that little buzzing in your ears He was saying Why don't Sutton play playing a high line? Why don't Chelsea just launch it long? And give Hazard a chance to run onto it And, you know, 30 seconds later Luiz, who had a great game I, I mean, we, we can laugh at David Luiz And he, he certainly has his moments But he had a great game And he played the sort of ball We'd have been proud of Edison playing 50-60 yard pass I say Pedro, I think it was Pedro, didn't quite control it properly, but Delph was a bit slow and that gave them, that just set up their attack. Even if Mendy had been playing, I don't think he'd have been any better off in that situation. Yeah, no, but
3: with Mendy playing, you would get crosses in from the left side, which... Fabian Delft sticks to his job and he's a natural midfielder. He's, he's standing left back, but he is in the midfield. Whereas the, what nowadays, the left back or the right back does bomb on and does send in crosses from their side of the field, which, which Fabian Delft does not do. And we missed that in the second half because we were we were more centrally driven. Yeah. Um, you know, Sterling bobbed around and Mahrez bobbed around. But I, I think it to be, I mean, I, some of the social media stuff, I think a lot of our fans need to grow up. You know, it's this is not the end of the world. We don't pick out individuals and, and slate them. It's a team game. And on the day, the other team, you know, got, I wouldn't say were better, but but they got the result.
2: It was a game of two halves, wasn't it? Because in the yeah. first half, our pressing was superb. I mean, I say they only got out their half. I think with decent possession about three times, and we were we were on them like a you know a pack of wolves. Every time they had the ball, there was a point where they couldn't get out there. Kind of the last third, and we were fantastic. When the second half, the tables were turned a little bit, and and they were the ones that were pressing us. We could we were struggling to use the ball. We couldn't get the ball central at all. Bernardo Silva and David Silva were both completely ineffective. I thought. Uh, yeah. Usually, it might be one or the other. So we were reduced to playing the ball out to Sterling on the who I think was on the which on the left on our left, wasn't it? And, and pumping crosses in. You've got to remember who who we were playing. We were playing Maurizio Sarri. He's got a decent team in Chelsea. His midfield, I thought, was superb. I'd love someone like Kovacic at City because I think he's quite maybe not in the defensive. Um, field, but he can play any sort of role in that midfield from, you know, wide to, to attacking midfielder, to, to a deep line playmaker. As we said, that that is the hardest, probably the hardest test we will have all season. And we did it. Yeah. We were there without Aguero and Kevin De Bruyne and uh, recognised yeah. that back.
0: Yeah, Walter, uh, Raphael Honigstein has this theory that uh, when you play the way Pep plays, you know, you're, you're committed into the opponent's half you're gonna you know with the with the right squad which we have you're gonna win 90 95 percent of your games but occasionally you've just got to take the loss Uh, sometimes they're gonna get in behind you and do what Chelsea did you just got to take it on the chin don't you
1: what makes me laugh is when you get these commentators uh, turning around and saying that City have been somehow sussed out and you think (laughs) well that's fine You, you know you get other managers to play like that we're talking about, wow. uh, you know, Chelsea aren't any paupers, are they? They've got a, a quality team. And a lot of that team won the won the league a couple of years ago as well. So we're talking about what I consider to be our hardest game of the year left, and we've lost it. Now, the uh, next could, few games, yeah. we need to bounce back. But we won't be tested like that again for the rest of this season. I mean, I think the only other ground we've got to go to, that's sort of anywhere near the top half we're or good. top six is, I know, it's United, isn't it?
2: And they might not be top we, six after tomorrow. You know, yeah. we've been to the Cabbage Patch at Wembley. We won one nil. We've yeah. been to um, Liverpool. Field. We got a draw. Lucky, uh, with a a, a lucky with the penalty. I'm lucky with the penalty. We should have won that one. So yeah, we you know losing at Chelsea. I think next season, when Sarri's got his act together properly, it will. You know, it could well be a three way race for that title. We know what his teams can do. We saw it last season. You know, we well, had do- we had to have the we had to have the game of our life to win in Napoli, didn't
3: we? Yeah, it really depends on who's managing Liverpool, I suppose, whether it's going to be a three-horse race or not. Yeah,
1: Oh Klopp will be there. He's he's just he's he was born to manage Liverpool, wasn't it? It's just a perfect fit. <laughs> he's he's full of it, but they buy into it, and it's all beautifully. Yeah, you know, it's just a a match made in heaven. Yeah.
0: Uh, what about that second goal for uh, Chelsea, guys? Uh, could you uh, take us through that, uh, David? How did you, s- you see that one? Well, I, I'm amazed that the referee actually gave the corner. It, it
3: proved it did come off Mahrez's studs. Uh, but I was listening to an American commentary um, and it said, it was, I thinking it was Graham Lasseau, that it said, that's something you hear, you don't see. You hear that, yeah. and in in a stadium like this, and the mere fact that you know Chelsea were claiming for it was enough for the referee. So it must be right. It's going to be a corner, uh, and we'd you know obviously our players were going the opposite way and saying absolutely not. But it did turn out it was a corner, and um, we just got done. Just got done on a corner. It's it's one of those things. There, were, there was two of them there. If it had hit the other guy, it wouldn't have gone in. Um, but looping looping headers like that, we should be. Screwed. Scoring far more goals from corners with the, with the amount of possession and the amount of corners That we get in a game I think that was their first mm-hmm. I yeah, might, might be wrong Yeah, their first, first corner First and only, I think it was, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and, and yet, you know, we say we had eight corners in that game And whilst threatening So it, it's it's all of that sort of, you know Defenders coming up and heading in It, just, it was one of those days It was just but, about yeah. put the eyes to the... The cherry on top as far as they are say. But when you look at Chelsea and their fans and everything else, you would think they'd actually won a trophy. So, you know, it, it says an awful lot about what they think about beating us. The, how you know mad they go. I watched, Sorry, I watched that goal quite closely a couple of times. And uh, David Louise comes
2: up very late. We All our players are in the box. David Luiz trots up and no one picks him up at all. Whether we were doing zone or marking or not, I don't know. But well, all our players around around the six-yard box, including Stones and the ball, and we know what David Luiz can do.
1: He's a big and unit And he sort of trots
2: it? into the six-yard box, and Stones sort of moves towards him. And then David Luiz moves towards the corner, nearer the ball. And Stones doesn't quite go. He's trailing in his wake. So he's got basically a free header when the ball comes in. And unlike most of our corners, it was a very precise targeted ball whereas yeah. silver was hitting the first man and or well, we were putting it over the other side and so i think you've got to give him credit for that he played it very well we we were a bit lax defensively but the corner was spot on
3: tap will be analyzing that in, in oh, yeah, some yeah.
2: depth over the next couple of days someone will be asked why the hell weren't you picking up david mm. louise who is yeah. probably the biggest danger biggest but, but single danger do,
3: you'll learn much more yeah, yeah, yeah. from a setback than you do from doing well and and I think you know in, in the long term as I said earlier on in the long term I think this that result will you know will will help us towards
0: the ultimately where we want to be Walter David mentioned earlier the the stadium and the Chelsea fans did you see those images of uh, Chelsea fans baying like like rabid dogs at at Raheem
1: uh, It's... um it's a sad indictment of um, Britain in many respects that um, we just seem to be living in a far more divided country than I've ever known, and it's just sort of this sort of divisive nature. And th- These people seem to think that they can do this too. I mean, I'm I'm all for you know giving, giving a player a bit of verbals if Rooney's there, etc. on the pitch, but it was in his face, and it was it was just pure hatred. And Raheem Sterling is perfectly correct. If you go and have a look at what made me laugh, I was watching the Sunday Supplement before, and you've got four middle-aged white men talking about racism. And the fact that they, their industry is very much responsible for this, you know, for creating this type of climate. You know, you've got... a. Um, Raheem Sterling you know he, he goes to Greg's, you know and it, it's negative connotations Raheem Sterling his car's not clean it's negative connotations and this isn't the first time if you remember before one of the games last year Raheem Sterling was approached by uh, a fan and given a, a load of abuse um, even worse than what he got at Stamford Bridge you know this we're talking about a guy whose birthday he was and he's just turned 24 and if you ever listen or read or whatever the backstory of Raheem Sterling this was a kid who was not, I'm not saying he was homeless, but he wasn't far away. You know, he'd have to get back to a certain spot, meet a member of his family, and then they'd be moving to a different house, you know, a more sheltered accommodation. So he goes out and buys his mum a house, you know, his family, the, the houses, and it's negative again in the press, you know, this football idiot, as they call him, and I think there's a a lot of people need to do a lot of soul searching about what they publish and the connotations of what they publish about certain players. You know, I'm all for, you know, if a player has a bad game or if a player does something stupid off the pitch, you know, you know, I'm all for reporting that. But when you're making rubbish up out of nothing, I know a guy who works for the Sun newspaper, did a bit of a column for it. And he tried to put in a positive piece about Raheem Sterling. He told him they weren't interested in positive pieces about Raheem Sterling. And is it racist? You know, and is it targeted that? Well, I, I don't see how it can't be, especially with some of the the abuse that he was suffering and the words that were said to him. And you can see him there as a, as a young man thinking, you know, he, he was he just laughed because there's nothing else, nothing you can else doing you could that. do, you know, he was well, sort of there. He'd had
3: that run-in with David Luiz just a few minutes before, where he he jumped out of Luiz's way when Luiz exactly. was tackling. That could
1: have been a red card. That, of
3: course, it could. He went. Um, now, when when that we saw those guys, I said to the wife, I said, "I'm I'm pretty sure what's coming out of their mouths." I, I mean, for me, I, I would have liked to have seen the player stop and call the referee over and say, "That fella, that fella, and that fella have just racially abused me." You know, and apparently the the, the stewards went to these guys and spoke to them and nothing, nothing follows. I mean, Chelsea say we're going to uh, investigate, very clearly see who they were. So they should be...
1: Yeah, they should be able to identify who they are. But I mean, the thing is, you've got a guy who's gone to a a game of football and then the next thing you know, he's plastered all over the back pages, front pages. He had no idea when he was sat there in the... uh, in the second half and he was cheering his team on that that's probably the last he'll ever see of them because he's he needs banning you know and that that, that example and that example that gets sent out might just put off the next and the only thing to think of is the word dickhead from trying (laughs) to do something similar well you know you can't 2018 you know, some of us, if you look at some of the black footballers, certainly when we were growing up or when they first got introduced into the game, they came in for some ho- horrendous, you know, abuse. They were real sort of trailblazers. And what makes me laugh is they have got these three guys there. And when I say guys, these were middle-aged men.
3: Middle-aged black, oh yeah.
1: And there was a, you can see the, the black lads stood just behind them looking totally uncomfortable with what was going on. And it's, this isn't the first time for Chelsea. If you remember the incident uh, on the Paris Underground, yeah. you know, there's, a, there's a lot of... And these people need making an example of... Anti-Semitic
2: chanting at Spurs as well by Chelsea fans.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, I
2: mean, and particularly where, where
1: Chelsea have got a Jewish owner. But then they've also got black players who play for them. But I don't think they yeah, see no. that. I don't think they see the no. sort of bigger picture. I think what, what, I'd, what I'd like to see is... You know, that guy has a meeting with Sterling and he tries to explain what he's done. And Raheem Sterling tells him exactly how he feels and why that is so upsetting. Because I don't think these people seem to realise the connotation or the the impact that this language has on individuals.
3: But when when you see that the the press is dominated by Liverpool and Manchester United supporters, and Raheem Sterling had the temerity to leave Liverpool. To actually go and win trophies, and to improve, well, his, to improve his lot, and he's but, but, from yeah, but, from that moment on, it, it, all over the grid. Not where you not just playing Liverpool, but. Loads of clubs, when we're there, are booing Raheem Sterling. You think, oh, why?
1: Because he's public enemy number one, isn't he? So he's sat Uh there reading all this stuff. And one of the problems with the English press anyway, just whatever way you cut it, is this idea of, and it's not, uh, remember they talk about, you know, there's not enough ethnic minorities in it. I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that, but I'd also agree firmly on top. There's not enough working class. Because if you want to try and go and work at one of these papers, you've got to do internships and stuff, which just weeds out the people that can't afford. You know, if you're from a working class background and you're very passionate and very clever, it makes it doubly hard if you've got to go and work somewhere for a year with no pay. And normally in London with the, with the rents and stuff. So that's their way of weeding out working class, which inevitably includes a lot of ethnic minorities as well. Um, yeah. I'm glad, in some respects, I'm glad this has happened now because it's brought it to a head and it's brought it to it's, it's brought it to a certain pass where this this can't continue with Raheem Sterling. I, I'd, and I'd everybody, love to not just able, City fans, are picked up on this.
3: Yes. Well, I'm I'd hear. love to be able to agree with you, but the mere fact yeah, that well, it's Raheem Sterling means that nothing.
2: Is anyone see? Did anyone see the uh, tweets, Twitter thread by Paul McCarthy? He was ex News of the World. He's now freelance. He actually worked as a media advisor to Raheem Sterling. And um, of course, you know, news of the world, worst of the worst in in being sanctimonious. uh, But McCarthy decided to come out and say, give a story about. When acting as a media advisor to Raheem Sterling, I once asked a tabloid news reporter who'd written several derogatory stories about him why he was singled out above seemingly every other Premier League footballer for this kind of treatment. And this was on the back of um, Sergio's car crash in Amsterdam when he'd gone to a concert. And, and, And Paul McCarthy's argument was, had it been Sterling, he'd have been absolutely vilified by the press for not, you know, going away, going to a concert, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but but Aguero almost got some you know some sympathy. No, but he wasn't. The level of attacks on him weren't as great as they would have been if it had been Sterling. And despite uh, McCarthy said, despite a lengthy discussion, the reporter couldn't give me any answer other than, well, you know, Rahim should expect it. That's just how it is. The he then goes on to say, we, we cannot ignore the fact that elements of the newspaper industry propagate covert and overt racism. Now now my point is. I think he's very true on that because you what Sterling did in, in his Instagram post was contrast the treatment he got and Tosin Adarabio got for buying their mother's houses against the treatment Phil Foden got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Phil yeah. Foden, nice boy, buys his mother a house. Sterling, it was bling bling bling, gold bath taps or whatever it was. Uh, Tossin, it was this lad's never played in the Premier League, and he's he buying his mother a two million pound house. Blah 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 blah. So, so Sterling rightly contrasted that, and of course, a lot of the supposedly quality journalists have jumped on the bandwagon today and, and decrying the apparent racism. Now, these are the same people who, not two weeks ago. We're calling out these untrustworthy Arabs and their terrible, unjust legal system for arresting this fine, upstanding young Englishman, Matthew Hedges, denying him a fair trial and blah, 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 throwing him in jail for life, spying, ignoring all the dubious aspects of Hedges' story. You know, to me, that's just another form of racism. It's, you know, it's these foreigners. They're not like us. We're, we're civil. Uh, uh, you know, we, we've got proper justice system because, of course, no one in the UK or America... Who is innocent ever goes to jail, and no one who is really guilty ever escapes justice. Of course, as we as we all know, so so we've got it perfect. But of course, these you know dodgy foreigners are up to all sorts of their devious tricks. So so it's quite. I've had a go at a couple of them today. I mean, Jonathan Northcroft, who did a an inter, the interview for Man City fan TV, and uh, a couple of others. Um, oh, Barry Glendenning of the Guardian, who weighed in on the row. Barry Glendening is the man who called our owners, and I quote, toe rags. So he was advised perhaps this wasn't the argument for him. So all of a sudden you've got these supposedly broadsheet quality, high-minded journalists jumping on the bandwagon when, say, not two weeks ago, they were writing stories which, to
3: me, had some element of racism about it. Yeah, the, the only way that it would actually get brought up where it should be is if somebody wrote an article about, say, Marcus Rashford, and then it would be given the credence that we all think it deserves. But the fact that it's Raheem, the fact that he plays for City, and City of, of those, you know, the, the, the newcomers, the upstarts, you know we don't want to see another procession in the Premier League. It's not good for football to have somebody dominate and it's it's a you know a consistent and concentrated attack on what we stand for and what we believe in. um we just have to rise above it and and I think Rahim is doing doing a very fine job for a young man who won't let that sort of stuff get to him. he he did the right thing and reported it. Uh, and hopefully, those. I mean, if they if they cannot, they must know exactly uh, where those guys are. They've got to be season ticket holders to be where they were. Uh, they should be outed.
1: No, you, they can't get away with it in terms of people know who they are because they were clear I would, images.
3: I I would not be surprised, Walter. If oh, I, I,
1: uh, I would be. I mean, you talk about. City. I mean, I think City have got a hand to play in this as well because I think the dignified silence about all of this sometimes doesn't work because they, these sort of uh, scumbags who are writing this don't—they just see it as a free a free pop. They don't—they don't, they don't recognise a dignified silence, and I think City needs to. Me personally, I think City needs to start out in some of these and asking them to explain this. Yeah, well, I why, think we why, do well, do a exactly.
2: lot. Yeah, yeah. We do do a lot behind the scenes. So I know it, some of them, be,
1: it can't be behind but, the scenes. But sometimes, this. I think this you're right. Pointing.
2: Sometimes, in a
3: case like this, you've got to be more visible, I think. Well, if you think back to how Ferguson used to handle the press. And, you know, somebody, there'll be a, you know, we're not asking, we're not taking questions on this particular subject. And a journalist asks a question on that subject and Ferguson would take his name. You know, he won't be coming to the next press conference. And maybe we ought to do that as a club. You know, we we treat the press as though they're, you know, visiting dignitaries. We, We feed them, we water them, we look after them when they're in our club. And then they, they write all this trash about our players and about our club. I'd, I'd turn around and say, "No, sorry, nothing for you. You're from this from whatever newspaper."
2: Well, well actually, uh, an example was um, on Pep's pre-Chelsea press conference where he was asked about the potential action by UEFA. Mm. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Now he should have just said, "That's not my problem. Talk to my talk to my chief executive about it." Mm-hmm. But I mean, he answered it. Yeah. And his answer then, I think, was misquoted because he said, we aren't going to get – it was quoted as, we aren't going to get banned. What he think? What I think he presumably meant was, my chairman is confident that we're not going to get banned, but if yeah. they do, then. But it was, yeah. we're not facing – my chairman said, we're not facing a ban. Yeah. And I think perhaps – I assume one of our press officers, someone like Simon Hege, would have been sat with Pep. Simon should have said – and I think this is where I do uh, – I, I will often defend the. – I've just been defending Vicky Kloss on Twitter um, – Mainly because she's following me, so I've got to be careful. Um, but, but I would defend I would defend her anyway, because she's very sure footed uh, And she's told me that, you know, it's you can't always react to these things, because it just gets – you sometimes make things worse rather than better. But, yeah. but Simon Peggy, if, if, whoever it was, or Sam – I'm not sure if Sam Cook still there, whoever it was sat with um, Pep should have said,
3: uh, no, that's not his question. Next question. But the, well, the, 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 what you do then is you, the story is Pep dodges – you know, vital question. I mean, you, you look at any of those press conferences, that's the week's journalism for those guys, because the, they've recorded every word and then it's fed over Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, that misquoted one one item taken out of context. Uh, but it, it's, it's just lazy journalism. Um, and. Manuel bless him was never gave anything away no, never no, said no, no. you know <laughs> he and, the and of course oh yeah but he, he was very unpopular with the journal because they knew they, they were him. never oh, yeah. yeah they knew they were never going to get a rise from him no matter what they asked i remember watching a, a while ago when the the lad was at Watford that's now at um, Everton and he so, said uh, you know at the start of the possible. press conference yeah i want to talk about today's game you know Watford are playing such and such the first question is You know, what about Everton? And he said, no, no, I don't want to talk about that. He said, you know, it's, it's disrespectful to my club and it's disrespectful to my team. Can we talk? So you're not taking the job then? No, we, I, I mean, for me, I'd have said, right, you, up it, you know. And but they're on a hiding to nothing. It's contractual. I know they've got to do this, but some of the questions that the journalists come out with, I think, I, I, I would like to get them out, you know, to one side and just say. And it is. It's trip you up. It's ask a question which leads to a question which leads to a question, and all yeah, the Mancini's time. I used
1: to fall for this. Part of the problem for me, it was really well put. Uh, I saw. A, Piers Morgan was talking on Twitter saying this idea of Rudy and all the abuse that he took. You know, you could put his name in there. And someone, one of the first comments back to him is saying, if you can't see it, you're part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that's summed it up perfectly for me when you're looking at a lot of these journalists. And, you know, a lot of them are very intelligent blokes who are trying the best in a, in, a, in a dying industry as opposed to get clickbait and to get readers to pick up theirs. And that's why they'll often have Man United on the back, etc. because they produce the most clicks and they'll produce the most um, papers bought if you have a big article about them. And so you talk about these intelligent guys who are in this sort of industry, but there's a line, and the line, me personally, I think this weekend, the line has got crossed so far that I think the average football fan Sees now what Raheem Sterling is getting instead of just the general shite that's wrote about him. they've seen the other side of the coin now, and I've, honestly, I honestly, I believe this is the tipping point. And I think, I think Raheem Sterling over. The, I, I'd be interested now over the next few months to read the stories that are put out about him because I think the tide's going to turn on him, and I think it's going to turn in the way that more positive articles are going to be wrote. Oh,
3: I really, really hope so. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't see these guys from Chelsea being identified and and balanced out?
2: Yeah, yeah. In fact, on Blue Moon, I'm just reading on Blue Moon, there was a post by a Chelsea fan, and he said a few years ago he was sat near a guy who was shouting racist abuse. I don't think he was going back to the 70s or 80s. It was relatively, the last 10 years maybe. And he uh, complained to stewards, complained to the club. And as a result, he moved his seat. But he said when he was talking to the guys who used to sit near him, they said the fellow was there and there was someone sat in, the, the, this guy's seat, who, who they didn't recognise. And he was wearing, he said it was a bit odd because he was wearing a big bulky coat when it was, the weather was quite warm. And this fellow started shouting racist abuse. The guy from under his coat pulled out a walkie-talkie and the guy was hauled out of the ground and never seen again. So, <laughs> brilliant sorry that. So, you know, the whole thing about seated, stadium, all seated stadiums, all-seated stadiums, all-ticket game, is that
3: they should know who's sat in that seat. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. They've said they're going to investigate. Yeah, um, and and we'll 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 leave it there and see what they do. But I'm not overly confident.
0: Let's let's move away from that issue and uh, back to issues regarding goalposts and footballs and corner flags. Uh, Guys, one thing that we can be very very comforted by is the fact that our hero Kevin De Bruyne, you know, he's Chelsea's kryptonite, is not too far away from a a return now. Uh, What's your understanding, Walter, about? Uh, how close he is to a comeback and, and how how lifted are you by the prospect of that?
1: Well, I always consider Kevin De Bruyne to be Pep's brain on the pitch. Do you know when you watch a game, and we've all done it, when you watch a game from high up in the stands and you get a really good sort of view of the patterns, patterns of play, De Bruyne gets that on the pitch and it's a unique talent of, again, I've, I've, I've said in the past that he's the oil that greases the engine for City. And the fact that we're, we've gone on this long, unbeaten run without Kevin De Bruyne it speaks wonders for the rest of the team and the depth of the squad. But when you come up against, I mean, it's fine for most of the games in the season, but when you come up against a Chelsea team who were playing like that, you do need them sparks of brilliance. I mean, if it weren't for Kevin De Bruyne, we, probably, we wouldn't have won there last year. And that's, you know, we saw the record that we went on to do last year. So... You know, the sooner he's back, the better. You know, I give him a little bit of time just to sort of bed back into the team. But he's coming back for this Christmas time. And I just hope, I remember when he injured himself, I hope he's not made to play 90 minutes after 90 minutes because that's going to be detrimental. And especially with, um, River Plate have just scored, um, <laughs> especially with um, David Silver, you know, and it looked like a hamstring. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we've run David Silver. So we were told that we weren't going to be. He was going to play less games. And between him and Ferradinho, we're running them into the ground. Because I think Ferrandino, it looked like he was coming off at one point as well. And so have as I said, um, our Pep's brain, as it were, on the pitch back again. You know, if you were a Liverpool fan, you'd be thinking, we've had the best start ever and now their players like Aguero is going to be coming back. They're getting their main men back in and they're in touching distance.
2: Well, I mean, David Silver. To me, I've said this before. He's looking very tired at the moment. And just looking at my notes about the game, even after twenty-five minutes, we—Liberata um, did really well to win the ball back of a Chelsea player, uh, and he gave the ball to David Silver, who was just outside the box. But he, David, who was always the—you know—can put in this pinpoint, precise pass. He played this kind of half-hearted, looped ball in to no one in particular. And it was like, you know, a band who's got to do the last contracted album for the record company that they know they're leaving. You know, it was just, let's just get rid of the ball. And that, that to me, summed up Davids. I mean, he had no, he certainly had no presence in that game at all. Uh,
1: you wouldn't even know he was playing uh, until he
2: got. He well, that's what I said. I put something on Twitter. Is David Silver? David Silver actually played, and Bernardo, who who I do compare to Kevin De Bruyne, in some ways, because he can do a little bit of the David Silver stuff with the precise balls, but he can also take the ball and run. But he never mm-hmm. made any impression on that game at all. So I think we said before we were just reduced. In fact, we were a bit like United without Fellaini. We, we were <laughs> reduced to throwing balls into the box with only Gabby Jesus to get on the end of them and, and yeah, it was all very confused uh, in that second half. But yeah, so so uh, and if we think back to last season, talking about Kevin De Bruyne, um, he played a lot of that season and by February he was looking very he was looking very jaded. And I think the last early, third, yeah, the, the, the last third of the season, uh, you know, we weren't getting out of him what we had been getting out of him the rest of the season. So actually it might work in his favour that he's coming back, hopefully around the Christmas period. And he can get a good, you know, half a season in like he did last season uh, and drive us to hopefully the title and the Champions League and the domestic, you know, and the domestic cups as
0: well. David, despite what Pep said, do you think that we'll be dipping into the uh, transfer uh, market in uh, January?
3: I think we might. Yeah,
0: Um, there is the fear.
3: Um, and you can challenge it, uh, which we would. But the, there might be a the, the UEFA could very well turn round and sort of do a transfer ban to appease all of the so-and-go. And it could be a case of saying, you know, and with that in mind, do some business in January. Uh, that would you would normally have done in the summer um, the sooner if we if we're going to get this young de young uh, we need to do that lend him back to Ajax until um, the summer because, but if we don't it could be snapped up by somebody else so I think again you I, I, I think Walter said you know we what Pep says in a press conference isn't necessarily what we're going to do Um I still want us to just to, to identify a donkey that United could go and pay fifty million to buy.
2: <laughs> Even if he's not a donkey, when they buy him, Mourinho will soon do the uh, do the necessary and turn him into one, won't he? Yeah. Oh yes. Uh,
0: Colin, how do you, how do you see it? As should City be looking at maybe a left back as well as the defensive midfield that we've all been clamouring for? Uh,
2: we, we we've got a, well we've got a slight problem because I think we're we're I think we're at our limit of foreign players. So if someone comes in, someone's got to go out. Now, now Bravo is probably out for the rest of the season. So, so we're probably OK on that score, actually. So we could probably afford to drop Bravo from the Premier League squad and, and Champions League squad and bring someone in. Um, left back, I don't know. It's always been a difficult position. You know, how many quality left backs are there out there? That lad who was at Napoli, is it? Um, Gulam. Oh, Gulam. I like the look of him. and definitely that our game there changed for the better in our benefit to our benefit when he went off injured after about what thirty minutes. Yeah, so I like yeah. the look of him. Um whether they're whether they're selling him or not, I don't know. But um it, it depends on Mendy, doesn't it? You know, how long is Mendy gonna be out for? Can we actually can we actually get him to get his head out of his backside and, and focus on playing rather than his social media activity, although he's been relatively quiet recently. And I think um Whenever he's due back, maybe in the new year, he's really got to get a good. What? What will it be then? Four months? Three, four months in? Because otherwise, I think he's on the cusp of Pep cutting him out.
1: I disagree slightly. I think we need a left back bringing in ASAP. I Think. Um, yeah. You talk about. I mean, you talk about Mendy. Well, if you look at the right hand side, we've got Danilo and Walker, and I'm comfortable but, with both of them. So see, we need that kind of situation going on on the left. Why not? Got Mendy we we played.
2: We played Danilo at left back last season. He's better defensively. Now, now I think the, one of the points I would have made, I was going to make was, had we gone in 0-0 at half-time instead of 1-0 down, I'd have been very tempted to take Delph off and put Danilo on, or even to take Mares off and move Delph into midfield.
1: I could see that, but I mean, the, we, need a, we, need a, we need a quality left back. I mean, as I always say, you look at where you want the club to be, yeah. yeah, we, we definitely... play left back. I mean, you know, he's he's an honest trooper, but he ain't a left back, and that's no, going to leave you wanting when it comes yeah. to you know them fine margins, as it were, in the semi-finals or the quarterfinals or the the finals, dare I say, of the um...
3: from the left side. He hasn't got he hasn't got a cross, Dell. No. and we suffer from that because we need Sane needs. A, a player to, to work with, and he hasn't got it. You know, you saw it when Mendy was available. So, yeah, I, I left back and, you know, perhaps we should have a word with uh, Manuel and take uh, Creswell from West Ham.
0: Well, what what I was just going to say, who, who might be the candidates, guys? Creswell well, is, is is one possibility. Uh, well, well, again,
2: Creswell would be our fifth association-trained player, which we couldn't have. So if Creswell goes, one of Sterling, Stone's, Delf and... Um, Walker has got to go. So it's very complicated. So um, we've got to find a left-back, haven't we, who can put crosses in like Mendy, who's as uh, good in midfield, knows the job in midfield like Delft, and who can defend like, I don't know, think, I can't even think of a good defensive... Well, um, the, the lad at Liverpool, I mean, Robertson. We're not, we're not going to get him, are we? But um, um, No, but he was picked you know, up
1: from Hull, wasn't he? You know, that, that's, yeah, yeah. that's good scouting. And it's good scouting, yeah. Uh, at the and, end of the day, uh, that's, what, that's what we should be looking at, is getting a left back in because honestly delph isn't the solution whether it was against leon no. or you know against chelsea no. or it, 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 again is we all like delph you know what i mean but it's it's a difference between I, i'm not interested overly in liking my players i want them to be performing at the top level and every every team needs to bit a bastard about them anyway you know so get the left back in i would be, I'd be looking at also the central midfielder And I'd also be maybe cheekily thinking about a goal-getter as well.
2: Yeah. I think we've we've, we've got to be thinking about a goal-getter because Aguero's what, in his last couple of seasons now? And uh, if you notice, looking at Aguero's record, he rarely does December. How many seasons have been here now? Six, seven?
3: 2011
2: he came. 2011. 11-12
3: was his first
2: season. 11-12. 13, 14, yeah, so this is his seventh season. I think five of those, he's pretty well missed out December or a large part of December or December and January. I don't know, it's a bit like, who, who was the who was the player? Oh, was it Neymar who kept missing out um, certain days on the season? But So I think we've got to be thinking, you know, if we say we've got one, uh, you know, Zinchenko. I like Zinchenko. I think he's got a lot about him, but we aren't going to keep him if we can get someone better. And I think that... that yeah, we all, we all talk about if you're buying someone, you've got to get better than you're getting rid of. And I think as much as I like Zinchenko, and I think he's got a lot about him, I, th- I think we can get a better player uh, than him because
3: because he's not really playing the role he should be playing, which is attacking midfield. So so um, well, they've been linked know, with this Turkish lad under. He's quoted at fifty million.
2: Oh yeah.
0: That's the guy who just uh, who, who missed a, an absolute sitter for Roma recently, yeah. an open goal, yeah.
2: But are we are we ever going to get a player like Robertson from Hall or um, you know uh, Gareth Bale from Southampton as Spurs did? Uh, you know, because when City come calling, you know that they, they swap the price tags, don't they?
3: Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that they are well on top of all of our concerns and we've got a shopping oh, list ready, ready oh, to go. And, and, and we, again, we've said this before and with They city do their business very, very well. You know, they, I'm, I'm sure, Pep knows exactly the player he wants or the type of player he wants. And if he feels there's a need for January, we'll do it in January. Uh, the last January buy was
0: a was a good one. Mm-hmm. Huh? Guys, just rounding off the Chelsea game, a lot of the outlets have made the man of the match as N'Golo Kante. I was just wondering what you think about Sarri's repositioning of N'Golo Kante who used to be obviously one of the best defensive midfielders in, in, in Europe and he's been moved out to the right apparently a lot of the people are saying that this is vindication for Sarri's continuation with him in that role what do you think?
1: I thought David Luiz was man of the match to be honest um, yeah. if you've got a player that's one of the best in the world in that position you don't go on fannying around with it you keep him in that position and so he can do what he can do I wouldn't have given him the man of the match and I think he's had better games against us so I think sorry I'm sorry but I think you got this one wrong
0: <laughs> Guys, moving on. I guess we should talk a little bit about the next game. It's uh, Hoffenheim. Colin, how do you see that going, and what's your expectations and hopes? Well, for it's a bit of
2: it's a bit of a funny one. I'm expecting to be a little bit disappointed in some ways because uh, we, we've got to be a bit careful, haven't we? Because we do need to get a point there to to guarantee ourselves um, top spot. I, I'm a little bit worried about certainly the way we've approached our European campaign this season, particularly the home games, that we're going to be a little bit complacent. Now, obviously, it all depends on uh, Leon's result in uh, Ukraine, doesn't it? But if we get a point, we're home and dry. I'm a little bit worried seeing how tired some key players look. I don't think Kevin De Bruyne is going to be there. We don't think Guerra is going to be there. So I'm a little bit nervous about how... How we'll react to that game, how we'll start it. Will we go all out? I know Hoffenham is the a team we should be worried about, yeah. but is I, that I, a, little a little bit nervous,
3: nervous or default
2: setting though, Colin? Well, yeah, yes, um, yes, but normally I think I'd be going into this game if everyone was fit, uh, if we'd won at Chelsea, I'd be going into this game thinking, easy. And I, I, I know as a City fan, we've never gone into games thinking, oh, easy. But I'm just a little bit nervous, seeing how tired we were, how how jaded we were on Saturday. That there is that element of uncertainty about the game. Now, if we were going into it and we were four points ahead of our, you know second place, and we didn't need any result from it at all to come top, yeah. I don't want go in there expecting us to do badly, almost to lose, because that's what yeah. we've done before. But but we've got to get that one point, and I'm just a little bit. There's a little bit of me nervous that there's a little bit of complacency may creep in.
0: But we'll see, we'll see. Yeah. Well, we've got the yeah. man I... here, we've got the half-class fool guy here to uh, allay those fears. Walter, what do you think?
1: I think we've got too much for them. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, If you look at their results so far in the Champions League, you know, it was a decent game out there, but,
2: you know... I they can still qualify for Europa League, though, can't they? If they get something at our place. Yeah,
1: do they want to the I don't remember mean? the combinations, actually. One of them. It's, 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 I, I think we've got too much for them. I think at home as well. And uh, I think also you're looking at a Manchester City team that's a little bit wounded and got something to prove. But at the end of the day, we're through, you know, and that, that's all that really matters. I mean, we're all sort of wanting to be on the top of the group, but ultimately you're not even guaranteed a, a decent draw that way. So you don't know what's coming at you. And if you want to beat the best, you know, you want the easy draws, of course, but, you know, I think we've got too much for them. And I think a wounded city will come out fighting.
2: Yeah. I mean, just looking at the tables, uh, Hoffenheim are bottom with three points. Shakhtar are two points ahead of them. Uh, Lyon are on seven. So the best Hoffenheim can do is they have to beat us to stand a chance of getting in the Europa League. And they have to hope Lyon win in Shakhtar. But Hoffenheim, as Walter said, they've not won a single game in this campaign so far. Three draws, two losses. There's, There's nothing we should in theory, we should be too afraid of, but yeah. if, 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 I'm
3: still a little, I'm still a little nervous. <laughs> if they come if they come on Wednesday night and try to, <laughs> to take us on because they've got to win the yeah. game, we'll just pick them off with devastating counter attacks and and slaughter them in that way. I mean, uh, the two games we've played, uh, Shakhtar and Leon. Leon court took us by surprise and we destroyed Shakhtar. I, I can't see anything but a comfortable win. And with a comfortable win, he might give Kevin a bit of a run out to get some match sharpness because that we're going to need him for the weekend against Evan.
0: Well, guys, that's something that I, I really wanted us to finish off with. Let's be Pep and uh, pick the, the, the team for Hoffenheim. There's no question about Ederson in goal. What about the back four? Who would you go for? Would you give any unexpected decisions, bring back company, Otamendi? Or would you just stick with um, them, the tried and trusted formula, David?
3: I think he'll give Danilo a run out. Yeah, uh, and I think he'll give Otamendi a run out. Maybe even Vinny, he might change the whole back four, put Zinchenko in left back role. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's more what's, what's happening up front than what's happening at the back. And all of our defenders are well capable of defending. You know, the, gone are the days when you're terrified playing the ball out from the keeper to a, All of our players are comfortable on the ball. Um, it's what he does midfield and up front, which is more important. If Sane's fit, he'll
0: be looking to, you know, put in a performance as well. Walter, could you see this um, as potentially Phil Foden's first start?
1: Uh, I think he didn't he start uh, against Shakhtar Donetsk uh, last season. I think he started at oh. left back or something. It's a, it's a difficult one with Phil Foden. I mean, the thing is, when we see him come on, he looks fantastic. But you know, again, it's all about this Pep we trust, and it depends. I think that the lineup will give um, a big say in how Pep's approaching this game and how seriously he's taking it. You know, because in in, in some respects, it's a dead rubber. if we finish second so what do you know what I mean we've got through so depends on David Silva Gundogan he seems to like him for the Champions League I'd give Danilo a start Uh, I'd also be giving Otamendi a start I'd look at seeing if Gabby Jesus because I know he scored a hat trick in Europe this season, didn't he? Yeah,
3: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Get Shaktar, so, yeah. get Shaktar.
1: Yeah. yeah, see if he can reproduce that form. I think with Gabby, he need, there's nobody at season that needs to score more than him. Yeah, so well,
3: he's working. He's working so
1: hard. Yeah. Well, but that's that's the beauty of. If you used to have it like in the olden days, you know, your Linekers and your Rush, if they didn't score the goal, they didn't contribute a great deal to the team. But you can't say that with Gabby Jesus, you know what I mean? He's um, a player that just leaves everything on the pitch when he's, when he's you know, when he, when he exits. And I it's think he
2: plays that one. link role better than Aguero. It's much more instinctive to him than it is to Aguero from what I've seen.
1: Yeah, but you still have Aguero all day long. But, but yeah, you still have Aguero <laughs> there, Yeah. So it's going to be interesting the, the team he puts out, and then again, I'd just I'd pick pretty much the same eleven, but with Gabby Jesus for the Everton game. And we need to we need to sort of show we need to put down a marker, as it were. We need to start putting putting the pressure back onto Liverpool.
2: Well, I mean, we showed um, if you think back to two thousand and twelve or 2011-12, when we lost to Chelsea, that was our first loss. Of yeah. the season, I think it was around the same time of the year as well. Yeah, we got early, done by early we got done by Clattenburg in that game, so it wasn't our own. Yeah, yeah we played actually. Um, you know, we could have done better, but we kind of took a while to recover from that. We went through a bit of a spell where we were winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one. Uh, you know, for, for, from what I've seen with Pep, that won't happen. As you say, with Everton, um, you know, well, at least we are at home. It's a chance to put down a bit of a marker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and say, particularly with Liverpool at United, uh, United at Liverpool, I mean, I'd, I'd quite happily settle for a draw there, both kicking each other to death, of course, but um, uh, a, a draw would do me nicely. We get three points, we're back on top, game on again. But,
3: but um, they could be licking the wounds after Napoli.
2: Well, they could be, yeah, because of that
3: game.
0: Uh, they could be they, out they, of the, got the Champions that. League, they've got yeah. To, they've got to win that game, yeah. of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: Could be in the Thursday night cup. Cool. <laughs> although course,
0: David, although I think that if they ended up in the in the Europa League, I think that uh, Mr. Klopp would negotiate their exit out of that tournament as soon as possible. To uh... no, sure, because um, they do
1: like no, the European no, no. don't they?
2: I, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do like the European Knights. and it's <laughs> uh, it, it, I suppose, uh, and it's a trophy. I mean, trophy dodging Klopp can't afford to turn. You know they're out of the League Cup already, so you know the trophy dodger can't afford to turn any chance of a European trophy down. So
0: you really think that Klopp would go for that Europa League? Should they not get past Napoli then?
2: Well, the danger is, of course, you fall between two stools that you think, oh, I'm not going to bother with Europa League. But you know, can you tell your players, oh, well, we're going to throw this one? Because let's face it, at the round of 32, if they go into the Europa League, of course, they could go out completely, which is probably the worst thing that could happen from our point of view anyway, they're free to concentrate on the league. But um, if they were to go into the Europa League, they're going to get a, an unseeded team. So you're going to, almost going to get, you should get some Eastern European you know go you know. part-time go yeah.
3: herders probably or something it, like that but it's an it's an extra two games that yes. they would play it's, but they'll play those
2: they'll have to play those two games if they drop
3: into the Thursday night league oh yeah uh, but it, but say that that, that puts yeah. additional pressure on them because on them. They, they'll yeah, have more more fixtures to play if and, and then you get to
2: the last 16 and you think well you've got a decent you probably got a two-thirds chance of getting a
3: relatively straightforward
2: draw in the Europa League I don't think they can get any of the English teams can they even in the last sixteen of the Europa League, I can't remember oh, sure. from the top of my we haven't head. haven't played
1: that competition for a long time. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, got four games, two ties that should be reasonably winnable
0: for them. Are they mm. going to throw that? They're not the I don't only, think. They the are. only problem is, though, Colin, they they, they tend to be like. In the far-flung spaces and all that traveling and you know all the rest. Well, let's
2: hope they're as far-flung as possible um, if they do yeah. end up in that situation.
1: The <laughs> other problem that they'll have is if they're in the Europa League, they'll be playing catch-up every single weekend, pretty much because yeah. they play yeah. the games yeah. on a Sunday. So that adds a lot of pressure as well. You know, but if, yeah. We're, yeah. if we're just bowling teams out of the way, you know, that was easier to play first.
2: So yeah, it is, isn't it uh, because um, uh, it's by far the best result for us for them to end up playing on.
0: Thursday nights. Okay, Blues. That's all the time we have on this particular episode. So we'll just express our thanks to Walter Smith, Colin Savage, and David Gregory. We'll be back after the Hoffenheim game. So until then, have one on us and up the Blues.